Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. September, the month of mellow mists and fruitfulness. So, Chris, what's happening this month? Oh, I love September. It's just so... There's so much interest from the obviously the back of uh, the summer we're, we're looking towards autumn and uh, yeah the garden takes on different sort of hues and it? it's something to do with the, the sunlight sort of going down in the sky a little bit at the, in yes the, it softens the yeah. color i think we get more yellows rather That's than it, yes. blues is it or it might be, be the other way around indeed it just makes things uh, well they take on a different sort of glow don't they which is which is good but yeah a good month um for, for so many things so much, so much so much to think about for planting and and getting on with the garden yep and what what shows and open dates have we got to think about? Right. Anything good coming up? Yeah, I mean September is is, is quite a mixed bag actually for, for us at the Garden Centre. It's a busy month, um, but we've got we start off on the sixth of September with National Reader Book Day. Okay. And the reason I've included it in the podcast because obviously a lot of people are spending have spent so much time over the last uh, eighteen months in the in the garden through lockdown and using the garden as, a, as a, an area to read a book. Surely is a really good way of of de stressing. Oh, it's um, lovely, isn't it? I, yeah. I always, one day I hope I'll be able to afford one of those swing seats that we sell. Oh, yes. Because they're, they're lovely, the sort of cocoons with all the cushions. Very and nice. You could just imagine yourself spending the afternoon in a nice warm, sunny day swinging around oh, on one of those sound, things. Sounds idyllic, doesn't it? Yes, and uh, well, I think uh, in view of the fact that we, we, we seem to sell quite a few of those particular uh, models. They oh, must be popular. Must Other be people popular, have had yeah. that thought as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so re- National Reader Book Day. So yeah, Peter, have you, are you reading anything at the moment which you can share? Um, yeah, I, I'm currently reading a few books, but I think one that's most interesting to me at the moment is Treatment Free Beekeeping by David Heath. Oh, okay. or Heath. Okay. It's a book that's relevant to this time of year because normally we take the honey crop off the bees and mm-hmm. then once you've cleared the honey, you can then put all sorts of chemicals on if you're that way inclined and obviously the reason you don't do it when you've got the honey on is because you're feeding that to humans and we don't want to put any nasty chemicals on onto our food so yeah it's a it's an ongoing debate in beekeeping about whether varroa should be left alone to sort of parasitize bees and then the bees learn to overcome the the problem and sort themselves out which a lot of beekeepers do think is the way forwards whereas there's the other school of thought which is you buy apivar or something like that put the strips on and off you go treat your bees with chemicals and the world's a better place it's a very debatable subject this one chris so i'm mm. not going to say which way yeah. <laughs> i'm swinging but. i suppose at the end of the day we're trying to be as organic and as as, as healthy with all all the, the sort of methods of of producing food isn't it, i suppose well that's it and there's like i say there are mm. a fair few beekeepers around the country and around the world who aren't treating for varroa mm-hmm. and are having quite a lot of success with their sort of longevity of their colonies i mean so it's not a clear and fast sort of thing where you must do this Mm -hmm. in the sense of uh, for the bee's health so we'll see no doubt uh, listeners if you're a beekeeper and you want to comment on this or talk with me further more than happy to do so but yep. like I say, I'm not an expert at this, so <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the books. Yeah, well, that's that's it. That's how we, we learn. And uh, yeah, and that's it. And how about you, Chris? What are you reading? Yeah, I must admit, I'm not I'm not into sort of an awful lot of uh, sort of uh, fiction writing. But one book I do sort of come back to it for this time of year, especially, is uh, a book 
called Bulbs uh, for All Seasons. Oh, yeah. Um, it's written by Cathy Brown. It's a really, if you want some inspiration on gardening and how to use bulbs, it's the go-to book, to be honest okay. with you. And Cathy uh, Brown's well known in the in gardening circles. Probably many of our podcast listeners will know her uh, from. She did. Uh, she was one of the very first uh, gardeners to take on the idea of using containers as recipe-style planting. In fact, I think Cathy uh, was described as the Delia Smith of the gardening world because she basically created these wonderful recipes so if you put this plant this plant and that plant in you'll get these sort of results so okay, she's that's... done she's done the same thing with yep. her for the ball book so uh inspirational and sometimes you know uh, and, and fantastic photography as well so it's Brilliant. one of those uh, books you could just sit down and you can dip in dip out it's set through obviously the, the the 12 months of the year so it's probably quite suitable for idiots like me who need some uh, lots of help with their garden and um get, <laughs> sort of give me some plans on what I need to plant where yeah, and, it's good. and when. Indeed, I think for, for the, the timings and things it's quite useful, but also just to get some ideas, and that's what we need, isn't it? Especially, I mean, an example, you know, if you've got a, a nice small tree, we're coming up in the next few months for, for tree planting, and yep. what, what balls can I put around the base of my tree? You know, sort of those sort of quick fix selections, but uh, no, it's a book for, for everyone, I would say. Brilliant, okay. Yep, so we've got um, in the month of uh, September the Chelsea Flower Show. So this is this is going to be very strange, Peter, because traditionally, of course, Chelsea is the third week in May. Yep. Every year, uh, obviously, down in, uh, in on the on the uh, embankment there, the Royal Chelsea grounds, and we're all familiar with the you know the sights and smells. So it's Chelsea as well this month, isn't it, Chris? It is, and you know traditionally, you know Chelsea is obviously in the month of May, yep. the third week. Um, that's in a way for garden centres the the start of the very busy season because it it? It, it highlights to a lot of non gardeners that actually perhaps it's time to venture in the garden. When you're seeing back to back coverage on the BBC, which is great, it really does enthuse you and inspire you to to get in the garden. For it to happen in September, obviously, is a, is a one off. It's never happened before. And obviously the, the, the flower show was last dis- disrupted back in the, the Second World War. So it is a major, obviously, change of, of style. And I think we've got something to look forward to, actually. I think we really need to embrace uh, September Chelsea. We don't know what sort of things it will bring. I mean, it'll be a different uh, collection of plants, certainly. Yep. And uh, obviously garden designers uh, creating those amazing show gardens are going to be really using tapping into a, a a different palette of plants to what we're used to in the spring. I suspect we won't see any alliums and rhododendrons. No, not unless they've been sort of, dare I say, it, forced or yeah. sort of oh, heat yeah. treated or something yeah. to get them all. <laughs> but is it all going to be autumn colours and things like that? Maybe. I, and <laughs> I, I, I suspect we're going to see a lot of good late summer colour. So there's going to be a lot of really nice perennials and obviously some of the shrubs because shrubs generally at this time of year are in flower are getting less and less apart from things like potent tillers and such like so it will be just interesting to see what uh, what plants to use i suspect there'll be lots of foliage plants as well which uh, can, can be only be a good thing but no we're looking forward to it and obviously we'll see in the marquee there the uh, the pavilion a whole gamut of different exhibitors as well because of course they're not going to be the usual ones we'd see in the in the spring Excellent. We've got a busy show weekend coming up at the Garden Centre, haven't we? Yes, we're uh, yeah currently getting all ready for our uh, Apple and uh, Honey Show weekend over the, the 25th and 26th of September. Um, and of course, we, we had to take a bit of a break last year for, for obvious reasons. Yep. Um, but we're going to be back uh, bigger and 
better, hopefully, this year. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, with uh, our special guests, we've got uh, a great lineup on on both days. For Jerry Edwards, uh, an RHS uh, judge, a fruit judge, really good, knowledgeable uh, orchard uh, gentleman who knows everything and everything about apples and how to identify them. Excellent. So he'll be doing the apple identification. So if people want to bring in an apple, yeah. or um, two, or two, yeah, <laughs> it's generally best to bring two or three in, isn't it? Yeah. And then because uh, he, he he often likes to eat them. I, I it, it does. Whether we we'll have to change that this time with with uh, with, with COVID, I don't know. But yeah. we'll certainly um, yeah to bring those. And if you can actually bring part of the stem with some leaves on, sometimes that's useful as well. That's he, a good idea because yeah. yeah, they all the leaves are often different shapes and slightly different colours and things. That's aren't they? it. So yeah. So. So, so Jerry will be here uh, both days between 10 and 4 over the weekend to do that. Uh, we've got obviously the Midshires Orchard group as well, uh, a very keen, enthusiastic group local to us at uh, Milton Keynes who yep. have a, an orchard. And they're going to be here hopefully doing a bit of uh, apple pressing and juicing and uh, yeah, just Brilliant. generally connecting with our, our customers and explaining the, the processes. And uh, we'll hopefully have our uh, our charity, uh, Beaubonts, the uh, uh, Buckinghamshire, Oxford, and uh, Berkshire uh, Wildlife Trust here too. So, yep. and then on Sunday, well, it's the honey show. Isn't it, it is, and yep. it's a it's a big one this year. It's the uh, it's the county show. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm always amazed. I can remember the first time I saw it, and mm. before I'd even got into beekeeping, and the different colours. Ooh, of the honeys that you amazing. see. I mean, I, uh, yeah. I didn't even know you could get black honey until I saw the honey show. It's, it's incredible, the difference. And, and in the same way, the, the apples, I mean, Ooh. I don't know, hopefully we'll be able to have the... our normal huge selection of varieties mm. out on display. But yep. I know certainly few well in seasons gone by we've had sort of what 40 50 60 apples or different varieties of apples Mm -hmm. and again it's just incredible to see the difference in all the different shapes and sizes and and the names and the names of some of them too yes (laughs) excellent so that that sounds like we've got a fun-filled month and um it's recycling again isn't it We're, we're on Yes. Um, towards the end of the month? Yep, following yeah, the 20th to the 26th of September, Recycling Week, which their motto this year is reduce, reuse and recycle. So it's the three R's. Yep. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, certainly garden centres are uh, at the moment all in the, the, the tune of sustainability with the big peak debate going on and obviously the use of plastics as well. So it's encouraging that this, this week hopefully will identify more things we can do in our own homes, our gardens, and obviously when we're, we're shopping for, for sustainability. Well, certainly I noticed uh, putting my uh, brown bin out, mm. uh, black bin as it is now with the blue top. Very confusing. The other night, I was, uh, I'd been cleaning out the shed and um, clearing out some old pots from um, the spring sort mm. of bedding bedding planting. Yep. And uh-huh. there were some grey ones there that were sort yeah. of recyclable cool. and yep. um, there were some taut, I suppose you taut brown taut, sort of coloured yeah, you know, yep. colour ones as yep. well. That yep. 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 Again, both recyclable, which is nice because mm. I know I bought them in the spring this year and mm. there was still unfortunately a black cell pack in there, mm-hmm. um, which because of the... The black pigment in the uh, pots that Mm -hmm. they can't be recycled, but hopefully as time progresses and more suppliers move over to the different sort of Mm. more recyclable plastics for the pots, we'll be able to get 100% behind that. Yeah, 
I think it's interesting, actually, over the last few weeks, I've noticed that the plant delivery is coming in through the, the summer. There's a lot more movement to the talk pots now, which is which is great Brilliant. news. And also, I think getting the message over to everyone that if you are a gardener, and you, you grow and propagate your own plants, is obviously just try and reuse your, your, your pots yep. as well. I've, I think I'm onto my fourth or fifth year with my, uh, my, my polypots for my uh, potatoes in bags. And they are nigh on indestructible. They might get you know pulled about a little bit. They might become a little bit misshapen, but actually they hold their, their shape well. And what I have been doing as well, uh, bags for life, which obviously supermarkets yeah, yeah. promote, uh, the, the more slightly more expensive ones, when they eventually do rip, they make perfectly good pots as well. So, uh, yeah, just cut the handles off. Uh, if the handles have fallen off, which in my case did the other day, yeah. and I've just chopped those, and I've got now two really good uh, big poly poly bags effectively uh woven polyester which obviously yep. is going to last for ages uh, holes made in the bottom and I'm, I'm set up for next year's uh, potato crop again i was going to say did you have to cut the holes in the bottom or did they come with little holes in no them? i had to, there was no holes in them they were yeah, so you, you <laughs> get yes, the scissors on them and cut some little holes but that's an easy enough task to do and yeah. like you say you get a whole new yep. pot for free yeah Why not? and i think when i look around my garden next year i will be advertising a couple of well-known supermarket <laughs> brands but hey you know what it doesn't really matter and a bit not more color <laughs> brilliant we had a fantastic evening the other week, um, Chris, mm-hmm. uh, harvesting potatoes. I took um, James and Freya down the allotment okay. and dug up our first row of Desiree potatoes. And It's such a fun challenge when you get the fork in and to turn the soil over. What am I going to pull up? Yeah, I, I the, love it. I, I'm sure my children mm. get some of my desire for digging things up from me, but <laughs> they, they seem to love it. That's yeah. It's the expectation, isn't it? What is going yeah. to be under there? Yes. Well, you yeah. never... I think yeah. potatoes are brilliant in the sense of... You see the sort of dying yellow... Holmes. Holmes, yeah, uh, yeah. as they're called, um, mm. sort of dying back. And you think, well, this is a massive one. Mm. Loads of leaf growth. I'm going to get loads of potatoes. And it gives you a few. And then you go to the next one. There's just a few brown stalks left. Yep. And you've got hundreds under there. Well, not hundreds, but... Yeah. A, you, a sizable crop, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, we've got a good bucket out of. I, I generally plant, I think it's twelve mm-hmm. potatoes in a row because right. that makes that gets me across my allotment. And mm-hmm. I got a reasonable, I would say, twenty liters bucket full that's of good. That's potatoes, good, yeah. and it's really and good. Did they taste good? Haven't uh, haven't tried any yet. Yeah, so right, I've, okay. I've been drying them and yeah, um, okay. sort of uh, knock the so- the soil off because I've taken them inside and mm. uh, I've got a. Reminds me, actually, I need to put them in the dark so yeah, they don't go off most definitely, and go yeah. green. But yeah, no, yeah. We'll, we'll be trying them soon. Yeah, it's interesting, Peter, that we've had over the last week or so at the Garden Centre, a lot of people calling us or popping in saying about blights affecting both their potatoes and tomatoes. And I think it's well known in the trade now that potato and tomato blight have been a major problem through the month of um, of August into, into September. So, yeah, yeah and of course... Really, it's, it's a timely reminder that when you come to choose your potato varieties, you know, come uh, after Christmas when you're choosing, try and look for those blight-resistant varieties if, if you can. Yeah. Mm, hopefully yeah. we'll get through it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, the weather, the weather conditions have not helped this year, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, what should we be thinking about sowing at the moment, Chris? Yeah, so broad beans. Um, yep. I like I like a broad bean. I don't. Know, I'm not. A, I like them in in moderation, shall we say? But to get a nice early crop in the spring is really what we want to be sowing now. So uh, the Aquidulce Claudia uh, is the variety you should look out for on the uh, the seed racks. 
So, so Chris, mm. so firstly, uh, aquadults. Mm. Yeah, I've always called them aquadulci, but that's yeah. probably my bad pronunciation. Aquadults, but yes. is is Cla- Cla- Claudia? Is that a specific it's, one? Or it, is, it is, yeah. Right, yeah. so that's not the normal one it's, that I know of. That's it. It's um, so you can basically sew it. It's 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 a little bit hardier through the winter. I was so. going to say they're frost hardy then. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, but if you've got a cloche or some protection, that's good. But if you've got a nice sheltered garden. Uh, and if you've got a sheltered part of your allotment, then it's worth growing growing a few. Um, and then the other thing, of course, is, is peas. Um, yep. Feltham first is traditionally the variety you would sow at the beginning of the season, uh, sort of late February, March, directly into the soil. Well, you can get those in early now uh, and to have some which will overwinter quite nicely. So you'll be a, probably yeah. about four to six weeks ahead of next year if you... It, Put you know, them comparison in now. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Obviously, peas obviously attract the uh, the pigeons, um, yeah. as as do actually broad beans, don't they? So make sure you put some netting up if we, you know, if you are plagued by our uh, our feathered friends. Yeah, because uh, broad beans, slugs like mine, and they, they, they yeah. seem quite partial to them in Northampton yeah. at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and what I would do, if, if, again, if you've got a cold greenhouse or a, a cloche, I would probably do another sowing in in cells in modular trays so you've got a few of the ones just as backup as well okay yeah. um, and with peas just yeah multi-sow probably three or four peas to a to a little cell um and then obviously you'll get some nice little blood plants then fulfilling any gaps you might have too okay. and then you've got radish obviously we can still carry on sowing radish and of course turnips for christmas if you're early in the month of September, they'll give you a nice, uh, nice crop of small, small roots for uh, for lifting. Then, of course, the smaller roots will, should have produced a decent size, which will be quite sweet as well. Because turnips, long term wise, can can get a little bit bitter. But if you're growing them as a faster growing crop, they should have a bit more flavour. So that's turnips for this year, isn't it, Chris? Yes. So we're going to grow them quite quickly. So how do you get them to? germinate and um, mm. sort of grow quickly can i do it in my greenhouse yeah. to start off with and then move them or the greenhouse or a nice you know reasonably bright sunny windowsill because they should germinate within 10 to 14 days in warmth okay um i would probably multi-sow them put sort of yeah two or three seeds um they tend to be a little bit like beetroot they tend to be in clusters so yep. and then as soon as they germinate let them grow Plant them out, thin out the, uh, the the weaker of the two or three seedlings, leaving yep. one in situ, and grow them um, a lot closer than you would normally do because obviously you want to, you're not going to get huge uh, turnip roots. You're going to get something quite small. Okay, so they'll be nice and mm. they're going to be sweeter and sort of I won't say softer, but not. Yeah. My my memory of turnips can be they very old, chewy and sort of cardboardy. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that. Yeah. yeah, a bit woolly, a bit yeah. woolly. Yeah. Uh, um, so they're going to be yeah they're going to be larger than the spring onion. Okay. But they're not going to be large as your, your normal traditional. Uh, so more sort of carrot size. Yeah, carrot size. Yeah. Excellent. They're the nice ones. I like yeah, those. Yeah. Ones. So that's and, nice. and it's a bumper crop. It's an extra crop within your your crop rotation, and they don't take a lot of space. And if you've got a reasonable size container or a raised bed. They'd be perfect in the in that that location as well. And I'm guessing parsnips are similar to carrots and other root vegetables, where you don't want too many stones in the sort of trench that you're growing in. So mm, dig yeah. a trench, get the sieve, and take all the big rocks and things out, and yes. get lots of comp- sort of well rotted manure and compost. Yeah, in there. yeah. Make sure the compost soil is not too rich. However, yeah, getting rid of all those stones is is, is critical, really, especially when you want it to grow, you know, good shaped and Again, if you're long-term wise, if you're wanting to grow those roots for storage, it's even more important that they are nice and clean and and uh, undamaged. 
Excellent. And any other things that we need to be thinking about? Mm. Salad crops, presumably get another one last sowing of... I would, yes, I would go with it. You know, fingers crossed that the month of September and October are going to be kind to us. Um, So, yeah, salad crops. So you've got, obviously, your mustard leaf... Um, yeah, obviously your winter salad mixes, which you get at the garden centres, mixed bag uh, varieties in packets. Uh, winter lettuce, obviously winter density is the one to go for, especially if you've got a cloche, uh, some cloches or a cold frame or a, a border in your greenhouse. So you get some nice, you know, good sort of, they're almost like a little cos lettuce, which will then mature over the, the winter period as well. And of course, uh, yeah, spring cabbage, if you've not got those in, get those in as soon as you can um, for, for next year too. It's not too late. Brilliant. Okay. And something else that I know the fancy chefs have been doing for a while now, edible flowers. Mm. And certainly up until a few years ago, I'd never eaten a pansy or a viola. But I know someone told me that these lovely little purple flowered violas I could eat, and I Mm. tried one, and they're quite peppery and Mm. really quite nice. And then I was thinking, well, actually, there's a lot of plants that... We do eat, I mean, you think of the Turkish cuisine and how they use vine leaves a lot yes. in wrapping up food. And mm. I love their vine leaf no, sort of wraps, I think. You, I, I don't know if that's the proper name for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Greeks do it as well, don't they? Yes, yeah, Greeks yes, like yeah, their yeah, vine leaves. And yes, then, yeah, yeah. Um, there's uh, all sorts of different things that we don't normally eat. And uh, mm. th- there are so many plants that you can actually yeah. eat, aren't there? Yeah, and I thought I'd just mention that you know, edible flowers, if you want to sow some for next year, now's the time to sow things like cornflowers. Now, cornflowers are great right. for, I mean, they're wonderful. I mean, you can, traditionally cornflowers are blue, but you can buy uh, mixed colours now, white and pink and sort of mauve shades as well. So there are hardy annuals, so sow them now and they'll just carry on growing through the winter and then they'll be flowering again, four to six weeks, that magical calculation that they will flower a lot earlier than um, those sown in the in the spring so get a head start with those pot marigolds calendulas yep. I've, I've grown a lot of those in my garden this year um and uh, again they're really useful they, they they go to seed very quickly so you've got to you've got to gather the flowers quite quickly and fresh so literally right. the flower will open so you need to harvest it really that that day so they're quite specific there yep. and then you've got obviously nasturtiums um again a lot of people will be enjoying those in their hanging baskets and pots now um i notice in my little wildlife area they're, they're starting to appear quite late in the season because they they, they grow there every year yeah so they yeah. self-seeded so that, that'll be a bonus there and they're very very peppery in flavor and of course with nasturtiums you can eat the leaves and the and the flowers so yeah, yeah. sweet violets uh, sage and what else we got oh yeah hollyhock flowers as well so if okay. you, yeah give those a try and, um, and another tip for you mm. i'm sure you you might have tried this already mm. chris but put some mint leaves in or spearmint leaves in in your ice cube trays as you're making ice mm. cubes yes. and then if you're having a mojito of an afternoon you can pop an, a, a minted ice cube sounds in. good yeah <laughs> that's good yeah um and the first one actually on the list was borage and borage of course you can pop in ice cubes yes too. they look lovely don't they, they do. with their little yeah. yellow flowers no, sorry not their little blue flowers yeah indeed and the other thing i put on the list as well because obviously we're harvesting at the garden center our wonderful uh, courgettes at the moment mm. the courgette flowers yep and the squash flowers and the marrows and the pumpkin flowers can be deep fried 
Now, I have to say, I've never tried a have deep fried. Have you not? A deep fried. We ha- we, uh, sorry, Chris, you should have, mm. uh, if I'd known that. We we, we did some last year, because mm-hmm. obviously we grow all the courgettes mm-hmm. and squashes here for sale yep. uh, over the summer. And I, with so many hundreds of flowers, I took some up to the kitchen yep. and they made a tempura batter. So it's a nice light batter yep. and made some deep fried squash flowers for us. And they were... Perfect. No, they, they were, were nice. nice. I, I think not the most flavoursome of no. things I've ever eaten, but nice and crunchy and yeah, a bit of yeah, definitely a bit different. A and, good yeah, talking point at your uh, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yes. So quite easy to do from what Josh was saying. So yes, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, thoroughly recommend them. Fantastic. Yeah. So with all this talk of food, Chris, mm. um, I guess it's about time we thought about jobs to burn off some of the calories. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do this month? Yeah. Well, traditionally September and October are the perfect months to sow uh, new lawns. So. Or overseed an existing one, so of course... So get the scarifier or the rake out and... That's it, yeah. And rake out, out all the moss and dead dead yeah. grass and stuff out of your lawns. And That's it, and I think this year, because we've had quite a lot of rainfall, uh, moss is going to be a problem, actually. But Certainly if you... clover's doing well in my lawn this right. year. Okay. It's, um, <laughs> <laughs> the ongoing battle with the clover and the moss, isn't it? Yeah, but if, you've, if you're thinking about actually creating a new lawn, then, I mean, the reason why we always say September and October is that the soil conditions are usually pretty good. The soil's fairly wet. Um, we're getting quite heavy dewfalls in the evening, which is good. That puts moisture on the on the seeds as, they, uh, as the plants are, are basically sown directly onto the soil. Yep. And, of course, it gives the, the seeds... A, sort of six, eight, maybe ten weeks to put on a decent root system before the uh, the start of winter. Before the frosts come yeah, and yeah. everything slows down for winter. Yeah. yeah, and I think historically our springs have been so much drier and hotter, so try, try, try and sow a lawn in March and April really has been, certainly for the last three years, a bit of an uphill battle. So let's work with nature rather than perhaps against it. And hopefully it doesn't deluge down with rain and wash all the seeds away. No, that's true. So, uh, <laughs> indeed. So, I mean, obviously, if you've, you've cleared the area, make sure obviously the most important thing with a, a new lawn is to get rid of all the perennial weeds and annual weeds. And how you get rid of those is a bit debatable these days. You know, obviously, there are obviously herbicides out there which will kill everything. Yep. Um, or you could do it the, the traditional method and just clear it by hand and, and rake and remove all the, the weed seeds and the, the perennial weeds. But the Really, the most important thing is that the air is nice and clear. And then just work on some, some compost. Try and get a nice level with a rake. And traditionally, um, grow more fertiliser is what you apply usually a few days before you sow you, you, your lawn seeds. So grow more, obviously, is a very balanced 777 um, fertiliser. Put that on. That just gives, that just peps the, the soil up. So when you, you sow your seeds, there's a bit of goodness there to give them a, you know, a really good start. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, because I guess autumn's not far around the corner now, mm, is it? So no. we've got to start thinking about all the autumn leaves. Indeed, yes. And I think, uh, I mean, yeah, certainly if you've got a, a pond or any water features, yeah, keeping the leaves out of the, the water is obviously very important, isn't it? Yeah. A little story from when we used to have the aquatics department here. Mm. I had a gentleman who had a pond um, with a load of willow trees over it. And after so every year, well, he came in one year and couldn't work out why all his fish were dying. And we looked at them, and there was nothing that obvious other than they'd all died with their mouths open, which often you can determine that they might have suffocated or there's something wrong with the sort of 
the chemicals in the water or something mm. and couldn't work it out, couldn't work it out. And eventually um, got to the, see the pond and it's surrounded by willow trees. And right. obviously willow is very mm. poisonous mm. in you know, when it gets to a sort of critical mass in a pond. And mm. you know, his pond was obviously not a flowing pond. It was just a stationary body of yeah, water. So, so mm. over the years, the willow leaves are built up and built up and built up and eventually got to a point where it had become so toxic that wow. okay. the fish died but so yeah very uh, very important yes. if you've got a willow or other poisonous plants around the pond to mm. try and keep the leaves out and would you say peter is it better just to actually put a large net is there, is there any quick fixes to to, to doing the the, the the well if you've suffered this problem i think mm. getting a net and sort of dredging the bottom of your mm. pond to pick up the uh, excess leaves in it. I mean, his pond was quite large. It was, it was, it was I'll say, 30, 40 metres long by sort of 20. Oh, it was a big farm. Big. <laughs> uh, a big huge. farm pond. Yes. So, yeah, it, it yeah. was a bit, but it was only sort of mm. a couple of feet deep. So, um, we were able to dredge it and get mm. the majority of the dead leaves and rotting leaves out of it. So did some water changes. So, mm-hmm. uh, Ideally, water but water if you've got some or dechlorinated water. Um, and then, yeah, just to, uh, make sure you net it with a relatively fine net, so something with maybe a centimetre square sort nice. of net mesh on it rather than a mm-hmm. big yes. open yeah. mesh net, um, yeah. which won't obviously keep the leaves out. So, but by doing that, you I suppose you're going to get rid of all any other problems like duckweed and uh, an algae too, if you, if, you, if you are using a net. Um, well, for yeah. fishing uh, yeah. the, the stuff out, yeah, you can certainly fish out the, the duckweed, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very laborious task. Mm-hmm. It is a one way of keeping the duckweed at bay, but it depends on the size of the pond and how much duckweed you've got. <laughs> Indeed, there are yeah. other ways of doing that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that certainly a, can be a bit of a problem plant. But yeah. equally, in, any plant that's growing in the water is taking nutrients out. So yes, yes. if you can then remove the plant during its growing cycle and not leave the nutrients to go back into the water it's a good way of filtering the pond and keeping the water clear mm, that's good and i suppose yeah when you're taking anything out of ponds i was i always understand the reason national is you always leave the debris you remove close to the water's edge just in case you you pick up any uh, yes any newts and frogs, frogs and things like that yeah, yeah definitely that's yeah. always a good point chris and yeah there's certainly with newts around these days it does seem there's quite mm. a few of them about and um yep. they do like to live in the bottom <laughs> <laughs> yes indeed so uh, yeah so yeah if you've got it if you've got a pond try your best to keep those leaves at bay uh, or when you, if you're coming to if you're thinking about putting a pond in or planting a tree just be careful about the species yeah, the you put close yeah that's it. Compost time of year mm. as well, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, so, I mean, it really links in nicely with our recycling week. But if you've not got a compost heap, now's the time to, to start one because you're going to be starting to obviously uh, harvest a lot of material, a lot of sort of annual weeds, perhaps. And obviously, you're going to be cutting back lots of things on your, your vegetable plots. Uh, yeah, all the old sweet corn yeah. plant bodies mm. and things like that. Yep. Or, yeah, and if you start harvesting back your, your runner beans when they've started to finish, then you're going to have all this wonderful produce which you don't want to go to waste. So, uh, yeah, invest in a compost bin. I mean, they, they come in all sort of shapes and sizes. I mean, at the garden centre here, we have the sort of typical sort of Dalek type with a yep. yeah, sort of front-loading Dalek with a, a sort of shoot at the bottom. You just open the top. They generate a, a whole lot of heat. Um, but the secret with, with compost heaps I've found over the years, and that there isn't any hard and fast rules is to just make sure you don't put large quantities of anything in it at once always put small amounts try and mix everything up yeah yeah. that's where big compost heaps i always think are 
a bit easier to manage. Mm. So, uh, I mean, something sort of two meters by one meter yeah. wide, and then that way you can scatter uh, like a lawn cuttings mm. all over the area rather than having yep. a couple of foot of lawn cuttings yep. in a very small sort of confined area. Um, yeah. Like yeah. you say, mm. but I, I'd never realised how easy compost heaps are to yeah. make. I mean, yeah. fundamentally a big box, yeah. lots of air, uh, sort of uh, if you can make it uh, so you can get lots of air in and turn yeah. it over mm. possibly once a year if you it can. can. Yeah. Ideally, twice a year, I think, is the recommended, isn't it? And, it is, uh, yeah. Um, yep. If you want to really go to town, there's something called Garota. Yes, which, an um, activator, isn't it? That's an activator, activator. Mm-hmm. but um, it's such a simple thing. And yeah. even if you do nothing other than pile it all up in a big pile and yeah. leave it for a couple of years, it's after a couple of years, you'll still have something that's yeah. reusable yeah. and beneficial to put back yeah. onto the soil. Definitely. And no- I mean, normally we'd say, at this point, make sure you water your compost heap. But this yes. year has been fine. I've not had to to mine at yeah, all but the, yeah the heat generated mm. uh, well i was watching fireman sam with james the other day and okay. <laughs> even fireman sam was covering <laughs> the compost heap and how yeah. if you, you know, get air into it at the wrong time of year mm-hmm. you can obviously start fires in Indeed. compost heaps but, yeah um, yeah and the other thing i did last year um i've got a log burner at home so all the the wood ash i was saving and yep. putting a little bit around my roses but not overdoing it but keeping it back and using that as an activator. So just putting a couple of handfuls on that every every few weeks just to help it along and putting something naturally back, again, in small quantities, back into the uh, into the heap. That seems to work quite well. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, just one note on that. Don't put coal yeah. ash. Oh, it's yes. Gotta be it's got to be wood, wood ash. ash. Wood so ash, if you're yeah. burning sort of seasoned wood, or mm-hmm. uh, then that's fine, but definitely not coal ash. Oh, no. that's no, really acidic. It's very acidic. Memory, very, it doesn't yeah. do any good for It'll the... It'll kill your plants and not... No, don't do nasty things to the roots. Yes, yeah. And comfrey tea, Chris. That's mm. um, something else that is sort of a bit along the lines of composting, isn't it? It it's is. Yeah, something you definitely probably won't want to drink. Well, you won't want to drink it, Peter. That's that's for sure because okay. it, it it smells and looks disgusting. So right. th- therefore, it could be only good for the garden, can't it? Really, in that scheme of things. But yeah, if you've got a, a comfrey plant, um, basically you can uh, harvest the the stems and the leaves. So right through the year, yeah. and if you get yourself, a, I mean, ideally a large bucket, but I managed to get a, a fairly cheap and cheerful water butt, which I've converted to a, a comfrey a water butt. It's a quite, comfrey tea urn, oh, is yeah, it? Oh, yes, it's, yes, it's a tea urn, <laughs> flavoured comfrey. Yes. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, it's got a lid on it. It's quite a small one, but I basically pushed that in, and I, obviously I, I harvested the first batch of comfrey after the flowers had faded on the because of course the bees absolutely love the uh, the comfrey flowers so uh, i chopped it all back put it in and then now my plant is producing lots of more flowers they'll be in flower probably for the next couple of weeks once they've faded then i'll then chop the the leaves and the stems they'll go into the uh, into the new tea urn yep. and i'll add more water basically it's, it's a sort of one in one in ten so it's ten percent uh one in sorry one in ten um dilution so it's quite strong Okay, so, so it's ten percent comfrey, ninety yeah, percent water. water. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. yeah. You can't really overdo it. I mean, you could, I suppose you could if your your plants were really dry or they were very young and maybe more sensitive. But at this time of year, I'm putting it on my tomatoes, my cucumber plants every other day, yeah. um, and it affects it's a very high level of potassium. So it's a basically okay. it's a it's a it's a natural tomorite, yeah. uh, really. Um, and I still do use tomorite because obviously it's got the uh, it's got the the seaweed in it as well, but it works really well. And of course, it's it's free effectively. It's not costing me anything to produce. 
So uh, yeah, if you if you and if you haven't got comfrey, usually you, you can buy plants. There is a variety on the market. I, I can't remember off the top of my head the name, but you it will be labelled that it doesn't self seed. The comfrey I've got in my garden self seeds, and it's absolutely okay. everywhere. So yep. um, it will move around quite quite well. So, okay. Yeah, so you need so to if you don't it. want to be yeah. weeding out comfrey plants, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go for yeah, them. Indeed, yes, indeed. But there, as I said, there's a, there is a variety on the market which doesn't do that. But uh, as I say you can easily pot them up and grow them on and they are really good but uh, yeah take out what you don't need otherwise you will uh, be uh, slightly overwhelmed okay and how long does it take to sort of is it rotting down or yeah. is it fermenting Ferme- i would say fermenting yes okay. yes it's brewing i suppose brewing <laughs> yes. that's it yeah it must be if it's tea it's brewing yeah, it's how brewing. long does it take to brew then i would say six to eight weeks maximum okay so it's and pretty does- quick does it have a lifespan once so you can leave it in there for six months and carry on using it? Or, I, I, mine never. Uh, or my, I suppose if you've only got 10% plant matter to yeah, yeah. water, you don't make that much you, of it. You don't. And you, you are, of, sorry, you are obviously uh, adding water to the, uh, you're adding water to the, 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 the urn all the time. So you, yeah, you are effectively diluting it. And then obviously you're then extracting what you need. So okay. it's, it's a bit of a balancing act. But uh, no, I've never, I've never actually turned the tap. After winter, and there's been nothing there to, to uh, remove and use, so it's it's uh, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty useful to have around. And I say, cost absolutely free fertilizer. Yes, we like we that. We like that. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, I mean, if you're really interested in, in producing comfrey uh, tea, um, there is a really good website which I found a uh, basically a how to do it. Um, it's uh, all the W's ruralsparout.com uh, slash comfrey liquid fertiliser. We'll put a link on the, the show notes, but uh, yeah, it's very useful. It's basically a step-by-step guide and some nice tips about producing the, the comfrey as well. So Rural Sprouts, that rural sounds sprouts. like a good <laughs> website to get it and does, have a visit. Yeah, it's, it's Brilliant. A very nice one. Thanks, Chris. So in our last show, we are talking to Ed, he was saying about, well, we're talking about teasels mm. and goldfinches, and it reminds me, I saw a couple of goldfinches feeding in the water bowls that we've got down on the bank here, Chris. And mm. Anything we need to be thinking about with birds at the moment? Yes, I suppose, I mean, our gardens are pretty uh, resplendent with, with berries at the moment. I noticed there's quite a few appearing. Um, on Blackberries the, have done black... well this year. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I noticed the... Uh, the, the slows and the uh, the whores on the the quickthorn are looking good for for yep. winter, and on my um, my my uh, quite small hedge uh, my holly hedge at home there's there's some berries forming there which is good news too. But I suppose yeah I mean as temperatures start to drop as we get into into this this month it might be worth starting to making sure our bird tables and feeders are nicely replenished so there's plenty of material around for the uh, for our feathered friends. This is some sort of suet. Products and fat balls and yes. that sort of, sort of high calorie, yeah, I guess. Protein, so, yes, yeah, protein, yes, protein. And, yeah, mm. so yeah, and maybe just yeah, maybe uh, you know, if you've kept everything fairly low key through the summer, maybe it's a good time to give them a really good clean as well. Our bird tables, make sure that uh, yeah. everything's then set up for our to keep them nice and healthy as we we start to attract them into the garden once again for the winter. Cyclamen, Chris. Mm. I always thought cyclamen sort of it's a house plant, mm. well, but. Well, you're right. They they are, um, and, okay. and, and, a, and a spectacular one at that. They are. My grandmother always used to grow them, and mm. I can remember from my houseplant days, watering was. Oh yeah, can be tricky. Quite tricky with cyclamen. I always used to drown them. I seem to think <laughs> they they like to be moist, but not too moist. No, and no. It's interesting when I did my um, I did my apprenticeship in growing houseplants, and uh, the grower at uh, Rochford's um, used to. 
he was so particular on how he grew his florist cyclamen for for New Covent Garden. He on his crop he would get a, a light um, plank wood yep. and get a spirit level, and he would check that the crop was a on on a correct type of bench that it was totally level. So yep. he got the uniformity of his crop, and he would be absolutely pedantic about this. Okay. And he produced amazing cyclamen, all obviously the same height, and of course produced these wonderful flowers, which of course can be a multitude of colours, and of course a lot of them are scented now. Yeah. So you could take it to the nth degree, but as a house plant, yeah, for for cool, uh, you know, cool bright windowsills, you cannot beat a florist cyclamen. And was he growing them on a flood bench? They hadn't been invented then, I don't think. Okay. <laughs> no, this was on traditional capillary matting. Okay, but uh, yeah. he, he wanted them very level just to make yeah, sure they all got the same yeah, amount of and moisture. Yeah, and they, they grew absolutely, but, but it was a sort of an in-joke that uh, all the Sickleman houses, these were all wooden glass houses, quite very traditional way of growing them back in the, the, the 50s, 60s and 70s. Okay. Um, but yeah, absolutely spot on and total perfectionist when it came to the crop. And the crop were amazing. These plants would be the size of, we were talking about vinyl records now because we're buying vinyl again, but you think yeah. about your LP, they, yeah, would, yeah. they would cover an LP size record. So a 12 inch. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Yes, <laughs> they'd, be, they'd be huge. And, okay. that's, and that's the thing, you see, we, we talk about cyclamen, but of course at this time of year, garden centres get other types of cyclamen in as well. Yeah, because there's you know, three different types, aren't there, mm. that you can you know, sort of find in the garden centres at the moment. Yeah, so the one which complicates things uh, quite a bit is the what they call the miracle cyclamen. These are usually sold with your bedding plants. Yeah. So people look at it and think, oh, that's an indoor cyclamen, but a smaller version. I was going to say, but they're smaller, aren't they? Yes. They're, 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 okay. Yeah. So they are not 100% hardy. They're probably hardy down to probably minus one, minus two. So they'll take a, a few chilly nights. So in our average autumn, early winter, they'll probably carry on flowering probably up to Christmas if you if you're lucky. Yep. And if you're growing them in a pot or a, a window box close to the house, radiated heat would probably keep them going until then. But they're not 100% hardy, so always treat them as a, a seasonal bedding plant, and then you won't be disappointed. I think that's the, the key thing. Okay. And the other sort is? So the other sort is the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. These are hardy cyclamen. So these are cyclamen you would plant out uh, in your uh, shady garden, maybe in your alpine rockery. Yep. So these are plants which produce or maybe even naturalised in your lawns and under your trees. And these are the uh, these are the, the typical hardy cyclamen. So the, the variety... Cor- the corn. The corn. The corn, yeah. That yeah that's in, it. The, in the tailor's packets. That's it. That's that's the ones, yeah. And when you come in, they're, they're nice and dry. You just rehydrate them for a half an hour or so in some water. And then you can plant them out. And they, of course, have lovely sort of um, marbled foliage. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you get those lovely pink or white flowers appearing and of course they move around and it's interesting um, i've got them in my garden they once they the, the plant has flowered it produces a, a seed pod which looks like it's on a, a coiled spring yeah i know what you're talking yeah, about yeah. yeah and interestingly ants are attracted to the the flower because they're very sweet and they often right. pick up the seeds and move them along in your garden so when you've got hardy cyclamen uh, like uh, hedrofolium generally you'll find that they will move around your garden and it's not you moving them it's mother nature it's our ants brilliant good stuff now hydrangeas are looking wonderful at the moment aren't they chris they're Mm. big they're they're such bold flowers i I, I do like them in a flower arrangement i think they're great they are good and you know a few years ago probably probably 10 yeah a decade ago they were really out of sorts people considered them as 
dare I say, granny plants. Really? Yes, they really were in the doldrums. And then I think a couple of things happened. We got some, some of these later flowering varieties, like the paniculatus, the variety you mentioned, which produces those big, big flowers. Uh, I think it's called Invincible or one of those names. Okay. Annabelle is the other one. Yep. They sort of took off. And, of course, they flower a bit later than your normal lace cap type and your, your mop heads, the traditional ones. And then, uh, say, a few years ago, the, the Dutch started to do some really good, interesting breeding, and they brought out a range called Royalty Hydrangeas, which we, we stock at the Garden Centre, which you see everywhere now. Yep. And they've really... They've, yeah, they've, they've completely changed the whole look. They've created wonderful colours. Uh, they've added sort of pinks and greens to a, a bloom. They've really manipulated the colour range to make them enticing and stunning and interesting and collectible brilliant which is uh, which is why we're, we're having such a resurgence of of the hydrangea yeah because you can are they like rhododendrons no, that they're sort of soil specific or yes it, do, will they grow anywhere or yes so hydrangeas yeah in, the, in as much that the soil type so an acid and alkaline type will affect the color of the hydrangea but actually right. hydrangeas will grow in Clay soils, sandy soils, shade. Brilliant. Yes. So they're not no. tied down to just being grown like no. sort of rhododendrons in their acacia's compost. Uh, Indeed. That, that so it changes the colour, does yes. it? Yes. So, yeah, it, the, the biggest question we often get asked, in, in, well, in the garden centre world, the, the biggest question is how do I keep my lovely blue hydrangea blue? I mean, that's because right. it, obviously it's that wonderful colour. There's not many blue flowering shrubs if you think about apart from perhaps ceanothus and the odd other other few things so yeah you have to manipulate the soil so the soil needs to be acidic so like you talk about okay. rhododendrons so basically you need rhododendron soil to grow a really good blue hydrangea so you can grow it in ericaceous compost it'll exactly. do well and it'll give you a blue flower whereas if you grow it in jack's magic it's gonna it's gonna go come out with a nice pink flower pink or red or, or something in between yeah i mean the process is i mean it usually takes a couple of years for the plant's root systems to get into your soil so often we're we're slightly um we're slightly misguided we're thinking the plant's okay and then suddenly you know three years down the line it changes color it's only because the roots have moved out of the soil it's been okay. grown in Right. Um, so there's a, I mean, there's a few things. Obviously, yeah, choosing the right sort of compost, um, and this really only affects your lace cap and your your mop heads. So the mop heads are the big traditional blousy uh, yep. flowers. Um, the lace caps are a little bit more serene and a little bit more delicate. But again, they are affected by by soil. Interestingly, white hydrangeas are not. So if you go, they're always white. They're always white. Sometimes you see them slightly tinged pink or blue, and again, they are then giving you a signal that the soil is perhaps acidic if it's gone slightly blue, but generally they're pretty, pretty, uh, pretty white. Okay. And have you any other tips about hydrangeas, Chris? Yeah, probably a couple, Peter. Certainly um, water is very important with hydrangeas. Um, and I always say, think about the name, hydrangea, hydro, right, yeah. they like plenty of moisture. Okay. Um, Location-wise, a little bit of shade is probably best. Full sun, they will just dry out too quickly unless you can keep the water supply yep. around the roots. Uh, Feeding-wise, it's quite important that you do give them a little bit of feed. And often, at this time of the year, they can look a bit yellow. Yeah, the, le the leaves go yellow, mm. don't they? Yep. Yeah, so and sometimes it's the lower leaves. Sometimes the whole plant can look quite chlorotic. So you get this, what they call, um, um, yeah, it's like an intervenal chlorosis, which sounds awful, but it's basically green and yellow sort of uh, margins to the leaves. Yep. In that case, give them a really good feed. And is that lack of iron or is that just mm. lack of... Yeah, um... that's it. Yeah, iron deficiencies. So, uh, okay. yeah, so the usual things, I mean, uh, a sequestered 
iron tonic would be perfect. I always think that's the synatogen for plants. Yeah. Uh, it gets them going nicely. Uh, or, I mean, any of the, the soluble plant fertilizers like miracle Grow or Phosphogen mostly have a little bit of iron in as well. So that might be enough to get the plants nice and green. But if they're looking very, very pale, yes, and a bit of sequestration will do a world of good. And if you've got a hydrangea which isn't showing its true blue colour, then give it a little bit of a hydrangea colourant. Um, and, yeah. and that really needs to be applied in the spring and again around about this time of the year to keep the uh, elect- uh, the chemical process around the roots engaged to keep the plant nice and blue uh, in future years. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Okay. So our next show, we've got an interview with Ian Clark from Taylor's Bulbs, haven't we, Chris? We have, yes. And we're going to look sort of behind the scenes on how bulbs are produced, the processing of a, a young bulb from uh, from planting to fruition yep. and how it gets into the garden centre. Plus, we're going to get lots of hints and tips on growing lots of those wonderful spring bulbs, which are obviously are doling our garden centres and supermarkets everywhere at the moment. Yeah, because I've learnt some really interesting things on you know, tulip growing and pointed about how to plant fertile areas. Yes, yeah, it's very insightful. And uh, yeah, Ian certainly, uh, I'll say, knows his onions, but obviously he knows his dahlias and his tulips and his narcissi and, and, potatoes. and potatoes. <laughs> everything, which, which again, the, the link to their, their, uh, their nursery and how they've developed over their four generations is very, very interesting. Yeah, it certainly was. Obviously, then we've got our apple and honey show coming up at the end of the month. So Indeed, yes. If you are local to us, please bring us in a, a few apples and a bit of stem from your apple tree if you wanted identifying. We'd love to help you out with that and um, hopefully look forward to seeing you there. Indeed, and we'll have obviously our wonderful Bucks uh, County honey show obviously on the Sunday as well. So the, uh, a full, full uh, weekend of entertainment is, is guaranteed. Brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Peter. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.